Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank at Sniper's Hide, and we're back on the phones with Big Jim Fish, Jim Lester, that we are going to look at part two of his optics discussion. Earlier, we talked about the $1,000 and below optics. Now we're going to talk, which is the most common that we see out there, is sort of that $2,000 range of optics. That seems to be where a lot of people are falling is is right around 2K when they're buying them. Anywhere from 1800 to 2200 seems to be. So welcome back to the podcast, Jim. And how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, Frank? Excellent. Excellent. Like I said, I was working on some computers, so hopefully I don't have a computer issue uh, as I just changed all the computers for the new year and editing and doing some things with Chris and I. But um, yeah, we're we're back at it. Uh, new podcast, new sound, new everything, ready to go. Ooh, am I gonna sound better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You actually, you sound very good. I changed oh, the cable. Wow. I I went to a a higher speed cable for the board to the phone, and then okay. I'm finding out if I call you, the signal tends to be better. So huh. you're sounding very good, actually. All right. All right. So let's jump into it. Um, we were going to kind of go into the that $2,000 optic, uh, you know, maybe give a little background of what you see when you're looking at who's reaching out, where the price falls. I mean, because really, other than, you know, your, the, the big guys have gone expensive and the, the ones we generally use a lot are mostly OEMs unless they're kind of the, you know, the Vortex where you see a lot of the, we were just talking about Bushnell. Bushnell's in that $1,500 to $1,800 range, you know, so other than those guys, mainly what we see is a ton of OEMs. Well, there is a ton of, especially around $2,000, there's a ton of light optics Japan stuff that almost every well not almost everybody but a lot of people sell you know uh sig works with them um uh bushy works with them arkin does actually does arkin have a one in that line i'm not sure uh maybe the six to 24 might be uh they Uh, have one that was a little bit different than the other ones i thought i don't remember if they have a higher end japan line um i meant athlon which does um, oh yes, have a, a light optics lo- line in the 2K range. So there's a lot of companies that do that. Um, Night Force does, but they do it at a higher price point. Uh, Vortex does it as a high. Well, even a Zeiss, well. um, Zeiss does one. The S3, the, like the S5s are German. That um, the S3s at the $2,200 mark are Japanese. Oh, interesting. That's how they were able to get the price down from the $3,500, $3,600 S5s to the S3s being $2,200 and $2,400 bucks because their light optical with Zeiss's, you know, Japanese optics package. Because they all have companies okay. in um, China and Japan, however you want to look at it. But Shot Glass, if you look them up, there's absolutely Chinese factories for Shot Glass. Yeah. Well, Zeiss is a huge corporation. Huge. Big Blue is gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in terms of size, I think it's bigger. It's bigger than any other optics maker. And it's it's that by, you know, a factor of an order of magnitude type thing. It's it's utterly giant. Whereas 
a large optic maker, an optic maker that say makes more scopes than Zeiss does, like Leopold, mm-hmm. still a much, much smaller company because it makes scopes. And most of what Zeiss does is not related to sports optics at all. Yeah, it's all medical. It's a military. It's got all kinds of crazy. And then even if you go into like any of these gun, or, uh, even, yeah, gun companies like Seekins or that, or even um, Vortex, when they have their those tables and their test tables and all that, their probes mm-hmm. and everything are almost always Zeiss. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, the probes that use on those big beds that measure everything and have the little ball probes. Uh, you'll see a lot of those those different probes they use have a Zeiss sort of element to it because the big blue logo is always there. So in this price range, you have probably half the products are light optic OEM stuff from a variety of different brands. And then the other half tend to be people that do their own scopes, which for that you've got like Leopold and Cytron and uh, Minox is in there as well. Mm-hmm. So we sort of we sort of mix at that range, and you're generally talking about scopes that are U.S., Japanese, or German at that uh, in that price point. Right, right, yeah. Which and, is uh, the majority of what we look at, to be honest with you. Is that what you get mostly in your classes? Yeah, we don't. You like the only one that has popped up that would go. And it's in the same line, but the only one like we talked about that we see, because we see the Arkins, we see the ton of Vortex, you'll see that, but like tracked, uh, the Tractoric, you'll mm-hmm. see those, and those tend to be the one you'll see multiples of, other than like Athlon, because you see the Athlons, you see those um, Bushnells, so generally, but yeah, you don't, like Minox, I don't see a lot of. If I see a Minox, it's that ZF25, um, the the 5 to 25, that bigger one. But other than that, you don't see like the Mioptas. You do, I don't even see, honestly, in my classes, I don't see primary arms a lot either. Uh, oh, I those thi- are brand new. Yeah, they are. But And they just started kind of going into the bigger 3 to 25s and scopes like that so that's fairly new but their reticles in the beginning weren't really precision rifle reticles um they were more the ar reticles and then the the lvpos that they were doing but um yeah so that's kind of where we tend to run in the classes is that the really arkin and toric um are are tracked is like the two outsiders and then everybody from the athlons to vortex tends to fall in athlon bushnell your main companies are you seeing the toric uh they have a light optics japanese line and i think they have a lower cost line too which one are you seeing the mo- the one that they advertise the more expensive one that has the shot glass and it's that it's that okay. um that, that I guess their objective and their eyepiece tend to be like a different spec of, of shot and then everything inside is is more or less just the haku or whatever okay all right but yeah very popular range in price uh, of price range of scopes and and you get a lot of the mm-hmm. and light I mean it's Hoya not Haku. Stuff. Haku is a brand. Hoya is the glass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we'll just start with the Leopold Mark Fives, which um, are of course American made. These have 
for a while now been sort of my favorite crossover scopes because the thing that they have that nobody else has is they are really light. Yes. You know, a, a Mark five, five to 25 by 56 is a big scope. And yet it only weighs like 30 ounces. It's become the most popular. Like it will see, you know, four to five on the line. And actually when I was putting together my, um, my terminus hunting rifle, carbon fiber barrel hunting 26 stock real lighted out. I mm-hmm. wanted something cause it was six, five PRC. I wanted, I was either going to go one to 10 or something like that or two to 10 is where I was going to go. Leopold was the first choice in the two to 10. The reticle choices in that model actually pushed me to the three to 18 because the weight was the same. The price was the same. And it gave me that little bit more with still a three on the low end. So Mm -hmm. the Leopold became the better choice on weight and on cost. Yeah, that 3 to 18 is just, for the hunting side of that, it's small and it's light and it's that's really hard to beat. Yeah. and I But I did want the 2 to 10, and, and it's just a reticle. I think the 2 to 10 is about perfect in that hunting scenario, um, you know, but like I said, I had, mm-hmm. a, because it was a 6.5 PRC, I wanted a little bit of reach out. Um, you know, so I went three to 18 only because of the reticle. I wanted a specific reticle, but like you're talking the weight and the crossover side of things, the turrets are the same. So you get similar turrets without having to go the hunting right scope route with turrets that don't match what we do every day. And the turrets are so well designed as a crossover because they have a lock but it's only at zero. And then they also have the pop-up indicator for your turn. So it's got, and it's, and it's not a huge turret. No. So it's got all the features that a precision rifle turret typically has, but then they've also added to that the features with the smaller size and the lock at zero that you might want on a hunting turret, which is pretty impressive to manage to hit sort of what both of those crowds want in the same turret. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I understand now that you have some options on the windage turret. Cause a lot of people didn't like that capped windage turret. And so I, I guess there's different ones you can go with now on that. Well, and even the new, what is it? The Mark four, they kind of redid that just came out with or whatever. They, they, that goes back to options with turrets as well. So they, yeah, they changed the indicator on that one too. So it's not that weird thing at the wrong angle. Yeah. Yeah. You can never tell which, which one your your window just pointed at? <laughs> it happens. It happens. I mean, they. You know, I they, liked them <laughs> offsetting it from the middle, but when they offset also the 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 line indicator, it's like not nah, line indicator still got to be radio man. I can't tell which it's pointing at. Yeah. <laughs> but I, and, and just remember, they were the guys that um that came out with the point oh five in mills on their first time. Like the first time they did a mill scope, it was point oh five instead of point one. <laughs> so oh, that is Leopold. Sometimes, sometimes you can get too creative. Like they've also changed on the Mark IV turret, and I'm going to try to get a Mark IV in for review. By the way, those are about fifteen hundred dollars. I think that'll be a really interesting scope to take a look at. But they uh, on that elevation turret on the Mark V, it goes ten point five mils on the first on the first turn, and and 
that just drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. So on the Mark Four, it's it's ten. So so the one will line up with the eleven as opposed to the one not lining up with eleven. And on the <laughs> second turn, you're like, uh, it's somehow it messes with your brain. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so they they've changed that, and they also changed the windage indicator. So they're definitely listening when it comes to features that maybe they got a little too creative about. So the optics on that Mark Five. Um, it has uh, excellent resolution, has good chromatic aberration, it has good depth of field. The downsides of it are it's a pretty small field of view, and uh, also the edge-to-edge clarity on that field of view is not the best as you go out from the center of the field of view. And I've run into, in Alaska with that, and with the Mark V, I've run into some Mirage stuff where it's sort of a, like, an, and, it'll, and don't get me wrong, like, when the Mirage hits in Alaska, it's a wall. And you almost can't see through it because the, the moisture's trapped in the lane. So it's a very mm-hmm. thick curtain. But there was, a, we had a Mark V on the line, and we had, we were only, it was just Mark and I, and, and he had his scope, or his rifle with his collis on. And I was putting together a demo gun for a student with a Mark five on it. Mm-hmm. And it obstructed like a six inch plate at 600 yard where I couldn't see it. And he's telling me to shoot a six inch plate. And I'm telling him there is no six inch plate. And he's like, it's right there. And I moved over to his rifle. I could see the plate. I go back and this was a really bad mirage condition. So it was a struggle to fight through that. So to me, that was kind of a downside. But then if you, any other time, people never, I mean, it's probably the most popular PRS scope. It, you know what I mean? So people don't run into that, but I would say that's an extreme end of the condition, but it did bite me. And, and we had discussion on it. It was like, what the heck, man, you know, but. I'm. I well, have a Mark Five it to an Alpha right. scope there, right? Right, totally, totally. I mean, and I have the Mark Fives here. I've used the Mark Five, so you know, no issues. I mean, the question is, if you compare it to a two thousand dollar light optics, is it having a problem? Because Alpha scopes are better with Mirage. Yeah, it, it, for sure. Like this was a Collis. It was a five to a, you know five to twenty five Collis. It was a new one, so you know, it wasn't like it, it was. It was the newest gen at the time. And, yeah. and I have not seen it worse with Mirage than other things in its price point, but compared to the ZCO, well, yeah, it's yeah, it's not up to the ZCO and Mirage. Yeah, but I'm just Mirage. saying that's a can if if you live in a heavy Mirage area, it's something to think about. But well, you know, a lot of people, no. some people don't, and some people don't get that kind of thick and Mirage. You know, maybe if you're a Florida or Texas guy, you got to consider it, which is why they do the towers. It gets them above a lot of it. And it's so yeah. flat, but um, yeah. So I don't have a ton of it in Ohio. No, in that case, I say north, northeast, central, north people who don't run into the mirage. You know, Minnesota's, Wisconsin's, you'd never see it. Washington. Yeah, I have to go over a parking lot to get a good indication when I'm doing testing. Right, right. So yeah, you need the black of the park, right? Yeah, and then that picks up a ton of solar energy, and if I put the target on the other side of the parking lot, then I can get some uh some actual readings on that right <laughs> especially since my long range shooting at, at the place i shoot it's over valleys every direction so <laughs> there's no mirage at all <laughs> it, it, and there you go i mean and that's the thing is that you can run into these places that that almost 
you know, keep the mirage to a bare minimum, uh, just how they lay it out, the direction and what's going on. So yeah, that's why I was saying it's a consideration for some. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty easy, yeah. The long range shooting, I do is pretty easy on the optics. (laughs) This is the truth. (laughs) Like it really couldn't be easier. All right, so then we'll go to the Sig Tango 6. Uh, this is one of the, the Japan Light Optics products. Um, Sig actually makes some of their own scopes, and they subcontract some of their own scopes, too. They have a factory in, I think it's Oregon, um, that they make their own stuff. This is one of the ones that's subcontracted. Um, it is a fairly heavy optic. All the light optics weigh like a metric ton, and this one's no exception at 42 ounces. They've done kind of an interesting thing with the adjustments on it in that it has adjustments that are both locking um, so that you pull them up to lock and pull, push them down to un, pull them up to unlock, push them down to lock them. And they also have a collar, collar style zero stop, which means that there's not just one sort of outer turret housing, but there's actually two. So you kind of disassemble half the turret to set the zero stop, which is a little time consuming to do, but they managed to fit in another uh, second feature as a result of it. Got and the it. turrets are actually 12 mils per turn, which is kind of interesting. The scope overall does not have a ton of adjustment range, by the way. For a modern scope, it is definitely on the lower end. Let me see if I have the number And did you here. look at the one with the internal level? Yes. Okay, because I like that for zeroing it up or for mounting it, you know? It worked actually really well. I mean, I don't need it when I'm shooting as much, and and people may not want the lights flashing, but I thought, like, when you're mounting the optic, using the internal level was pretty nice. Oh, I love shooting with it. That's I think that is the feature of this scope. You know, SIG does a lot of electro-optic stuff, Mm -hmm. and they actually have this level feature integrated into all of those... um, bdx scopes that hook up with a bdx range finder and then have the light that shows up where you need to shoot the yep. ones that we talked about yeah um, yeah that it, it what it has is lines it grid almost and i've shot the bdx it has and, and yeah. it'll put the it'll basically put your hold and it just uses those layered lines that are part of the reticle yeah so those scopes um also have the built-in level plex reticle um all the ones I've tested, which I've just tested two of them, the level plex is in fact level, works well, and I love it shooting that scope. I think that's kind of the selling point of that scope. And sort of what you get give up for it a little is that one is a little optically behind most of the other $2,000 scopes that I tested. It has a little bit smaller field of view. The chromatic aberration wasn't quite as good. The resolution was right on point with other two thousand dollar scopes, though. And uh, of course, you don't—you're not really paying any more for it when it sells for two thousand, like quite a lot of other light optics scopes that are similar. So you're trading a little bit of resolution for the level plex, essentially. Got it. Yep. Um, I guess we might as well go on to the next light optic scope. This is the Bushy Elite. TAC XRS3. Um, this has become incredibly popular. They've released at a pretty low price point, I felt like, which was what, $1,700 or $1,800. Now, is the Bushnell Elite, which one, which model? Because there's so many. I'm writing it down, that's all. This is the XRS3 
six to 36. Yep. Okay. I got to have that. Yeah. We have two of those here at the house. Um, cause Laura was a Bushnell person when she, uh, was shooting the PRS stuff. So we actually have two of the, uh, six to 36 is here. They are optically excellent. Uh, this was Bushy's optical design that they contracted light optics to make. And it is really good. Whoever d- did this, did a fantastic job of, of making the choices and compromises that you have to make an optical design and doing it well. It is not weak in any aspect of optical performance. It was basically like top two or top three in everything that I measured from resolution to field of view to everything. And yet larger than normal power range, six to 36, um, lower price point than most others, though it doesn't have illumination. So you are obviously saving a little money there, but neither does the Leopold at the prices we're talking about. Like if you want illumination and Leopold, you pay a lot of money for it. Um, at the time I reviewed this, it had only the uh, George Gardner reticle, but I think they've added another reticle. And I think they've even added um, MOA to that if you're a living in, you know, Yeah, probably. Cause it, it, I could see it crossing over to like an F class for somebody who's money wise, they want to get into it, but they don't have the big dollar. So 36 power would, would fall in line with like uh, an F yeah. class. Then you, then you got to make weight in F class with a, <laughs> with a boat anchor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 1.7 K it says. So yeah, that's, that was an excellent compromise uh, in terms of you lose a few features. It has a very, very simple adjustments on it it doesn't have pop-up turn indicators that kind of thing but uh but you get an excellent optical scope for 1.7k which is lower than i think well not everything else in this class because we're going to talk about a citron that's a little bit cheaper Mm -hmm. usually but it's lower than most of the things in the class um hopefully bushnell does okay with this the changes in their corporate structure because things have changed a lot since we talked like a week and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, something might be going on. Like, the, uh, you know, the layoffs may be hitting the industry. Um, yeah. You know, and I and I honestly do think there is some tightening of the gun industry belt, I guess, for a lack of a better way of putting it. So it, it, it makes sense that we would tighten our belt a little bit. Well, I certainly see that there are some companies that I know need to tighten their belt, but I also really liked the direction that Bushnell was going in the last three or four years under Vista with the new product development that just seemed to be excellent. And the people that I talked to that were definitely better than in the past. So I'm worried that they may derail a lot of good things that they had going. It is possible. Because I certainly liked Bushnell and RCBS, which was under the same product family. I thought they were making some really great stuff recently. And I wasn't actually a fan of either of those companies before the Vista days. So, yeah, makes sense. I mean, the, the consolidation, it works in a lot of ways and they pull their money. And Vista was always solid. Like we were talked about offline a little bit. It, it was when like just that round COVID and the anti-gun thing that the REI products were starting to kind of make a bad look for the gun products. And so like the bike helmets and that, and they're like, well, as long as you're selling gun stuff, we're not going to carry your bike helmets. And they were sort of doing a little bit of corporate blackmail um, to Vista and Vista caved on it uh, for a while there. And then 
I, I like you were saying, they kind of split off a little bit of it so that they weren't being blackmailed on the gun products because of the sporting products. It's also odd the way that they split this last time because I would have thought that Bushy would have been cleaved off with the ammo makers, but they are in a different group. Yeah, that's kind they're of strange. Going to be, yeah, they're going to be separated from quite a few of them. Well, but maybe if, they're, if they intended on playing games with ammo like they were looking at, like even California backgrounding and shutting down ammo stuff, they were looking to make ammo its own thing, thinking they can limit ammo on people or overtax it. But a lot of the courts are telling them that, you know, bullets fall under the same category as the rifle. And, and, but they're trying, that's one of the tactics that the ammo, so maybe they split the ammo off in anticipation of a game being played through ammo to limit rights, you know? It could be. It could be. Well, let's move on to Cytron. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of, to an extent, arbitrarily divided the Cytron scopes and put the S3 and the last thing we talked about and the S6 and this one. They're not actually tremendously far apart in price, and neither of them are either below 1000 or at 2000 They're both in the middle. <laughs> there you go. But I decided, hey, we'll talk about one each day. So we're going to do the S6 this time. Um, so the S6 5 to 30 is their new entry last year um, that they decided essentially to make a middle market scope here before their scope had their scopes had been kind of not the norm on all of the specs right they had an s8 that became really popular for them that had a huge 40 millimeter tube and a giant i don't remember how much elevation but it was massive and then they had like the s3 which was based on an f-class optical design that was a little bit lower in cost and super lightweight right well this one is sort of the size of every other 5 to 25 by 56 it's a 5 to 30 by 56 which is kind of becoming there's a lot of scopes going that direction it has similar elevation ranges to what you're used to seeing and it's designed optically to do the prs type thing so it has more field of view and it has more depth of field tremendously more depth of field actually so it's sort of their entry to match what other scope companies are doing in in terms of features and um, they've styled it conservatively like the s8 was styled it seems to you know depending on citron's mood at uh, at a given day it will vary in price Anywhere from the cheapest I think I've seen it was 1.2K on Black Friday. And I think the MSRP is 1.8K on it. So it's lower in cost than most of the 2K scopes. And it's sort of halfway between a 1K and a 2K in a price range that I have always thought there needs to be more scopes in, right? It seems to me like there's a huge gap between a $1,000 scope and a $2,000 scope. And most of the thousand dollar scopes quote unquote that we talk about are really more like seven hundred dollars right most of the most of the chinese made sub thousand dollar scopes are aren't actually a thousand dollars so i feel like there's a huge gap in there and this citron sits in a gap where it doesn't have a whole lot of competition price wise which is a good thing for it um optically this scope um initially 
the first thing I noticed was that its resolution isn't as good as the 2K scopes. But the longer that I looked at it and the more tests that I ran, the more that I thought, well, it's really more like a 2K scope than it is like a 1K scope. Um, it seems like Cytron has a ton of potential to even jump on both sides of either, you know, the F-class and the tactical. They just mm -hmm. need somebody to kind of, you know, get the design elements that most people and then throw a reticle in there that they'll like. Hell, we can even that sniper's hide OEM reticle would work uh, type of thing. Because I think Cytron is 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 a hidden gem in a lot of ways, but it just seems like it doesn't connect to the shooter. They seem like they have difficulty getting their scopes into the right hands and doing the right marketing stuff. And I think a lot of that is that because they do OEM work for so many other scope companies, they don't want to step on their own customers. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's there if you know to look for it. And... Um, obviously I think that they produce stuff that is, um, durable and well-made and well-designed. They tend to be very comfortable to sit behind mm -hmm. for long periods of time. Their optical designs don't cause you eye strain, which is good because sometimes something that you look at for just five minutes starts to look different after a half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that was a lot the case with this scope in the other direction. My initial impressions were, I think this ought to have better optical performance. But the longer I sat behind it, the more I was like, mm, no, I think it's okay for the price. Um, and that was, that was sort of my takeaway from it. All right. I guess let's talk about Minoxen. Minoxen. <laughs> Which is another scope company that doesn't seem to be great at advertising. No, no. Like, you know, we talked about them before with like Andy being there and then, you know, the whole thing and that that five to 25 coming right out of like the Schmidt and Bender five to 25. Just it was sort of yep. the modern version of it. So, yeah, I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's definitely there was there. And then that spotter with the reticle, but then nobody could ever get it. And it even had a great price point. And these have a great price point. Actually, let's start with the higher end one. Let's start with the ZP5, which is true alpha glass. Because I did a review on both, and I don't have enough alpha glass reviews to make their own podcast. They're just going to have to go here where they fit. So we'll start with that ZP5 and the fact that it is optically very similar to both the Schmidt and Bender 5-25 that made them famous, and also Tangent Theta's 5-25 because the same guys designed. Right, same person did all, all of them. Yeah, and they are really similar. They are all really good. And by really good, I mean better than most alpha scopes when it comes to scope design. Yeah, because well, uh, it was the last one of the group made because the Schmidt was. and then the Tangent and then the Minox. So he basically mm -hmm. got to fix what he saw in the other two when he did the Minox. He did. Now, the Tangent people have changed theirs a little, but yeah. not a whole lot. Um, Schmidt hasn't changed theirs, which is why, for instance, it still has a little tunneling at, at uh, the low end of it, which they corrected in the optical design on the on the subsequent two scopes so that they don't have have tunneling. But yeah, so it's fantastic optically. Um, I had it side by side with one of your Schmidt's. It's 
definitely better than the Schmidt. Um, that one had some chromatic aberration, whereas the, the Minox doesn't. I've had it side by side with the Zero Compromise and felt like they were just really pretty dead even uh, when it came to optical performance. Uh, I think the, the, the Minoxes are probably better than the, the Calluses, for instance, in terms of Alpha Glass. There you go. Performance. Um, the problem that people have had with Minox is, well, there's two really. One is reticles, and the one I tested had this THLR reticle, which was definitely a skip for me. It has a lot of features that are calibrated for just specific cartridges at just specific distances. So it had some mill stuff. You could use it as a mill reticle, but it wasn't great as a mill reticle, and I didn't find its unique features to be particularly useful you can get the the minox in other reticles and you know more traditional um mill reticles there don't seem to be any that people are super excited about though mm -hmm. you know well then the reticle is your point of contact that's your interaction uh -huh. that's what's got to speak to people i mean and that's why you see like a zico they 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 embrace that reticle dance. You know what I mean? People were like, well, yes. we, we don't want this. We want this. Okay, we'll do it. We don't want this. We want this. Okay, we'll do it. And, and well, Zico has Gephardt designing those reticles. Right. But he's also, they go around. It's coming from people talking to Nick. Yes. And like they go, hey, I, I don't like the funnel. Okay, we'll get rid of the funnel. Hey, I want a little yeah. bit up top. Okay, we'll put a little bit up top. You know, hey, I want hollow dots okay we'll do that i want the, you know and as long as it fits within their family they'll change it but yeah. they got a lot of reticles now and and you look at the popularity of zico and then look at the growth of their reticles and there's a correlation mm -hmm. and he's and because they have him with boots on the ground and a couple of other companies have done this as well you know leopold talks to its competition shooters all the time mm -hmm. they design reticles for it um, Bushnell has George Gardner designing a reticle for theirs, right? Yeah. So there's a few companies. Uh, of course, Vortex has their own people shoot, and then you know, right? And design, then, and design then, reticles from exactly. That. So a couple of companies have done a good job of keeping boots on the ground, and Zico is definitely one of those, and keeping their reticles updated, and in some cases even ahead. Like Zico, like you said, they put this funnel thing in. They they've tried these other features there. They're willing to to go out on a limb and add another reticle that's a little bit different to see if people take to it. Yeah, you know, and and part of the funnel thing is like the military guys. They want to range. They want to still be able to do some stuff. So somebody said we need something, and they didn't want to just do like an inverted T or do one of the other things. It's like that funnel served a purpose. Well, then when you get to the comp people, they don't need the funnel. They don't want the funnel. So let's get rid of the funnel. You know, so there's yeah. all those. And like you said, they're nimble. And so that helps. And they're not afraid to 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 look at it and say, OK, you guys want this, this and this. But we could put that in together with this. And so they're not so hyper segmented. You don't know what reticle you want, but there's enough of them to meet everybody. Yeah, and some makers have a lot more reticles offered than others. Like Minox, as we're talking about here, doesn't have a ton of reticles. Mm -hmm. reticles. They have only a few. And the other downside they have is, for whatever reason, they cannot get their turrets sorted out. Yeah. They've got, it's a, if I remember correctly, it's a 15 mil per turn turret. It's got turn indicators, 
So it's got the features that you want, but they can't seem to get all of the turrets to feel the same. <laughs> they have two models of scope that have the same turrets on them. No four of no two of those four turrets felt the same. Crazy. And and you know, and like elevation. Zeiss, Zeiss has one of each, one mil and one MOA. That's it. Yeah. So the turrets also they're what's called a non-translating design, which means the turret doesn't go up and down as you adjust. And most of the more expensive scopes have a non-translating turret because it allows you to do a pop-up turn indicator pretty pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So it's got that feature, but then with the non-translating turret, you have the potential for, for spline slop. And Minox has a full tenth of a mil. So you're a full click different when you're turning the turret up than when you're turning the turret down. Whoa. And there's there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to have that much slop between those two parts. You know, you can absolutely have that to be a tenth of what they have, you know, and still have it be loose enough to for the turret to raise and lower properly. And that that drove me a little nuts when I was adjusting because it's like it's it's an alpha class scope. And it really, things should be all correct on it. Everything should be correct on it. You know, the the size of the reticle should be right. The adjustment magnitude should be right. You, you know, you're paying a lot of money for it. And their QC is just not tight enough for a scope at that price point. However, if you want to get true alpha, alpha class glass for 3000 instead of almost 5000 it is true alpha class glass. Like it will, it will go toe to toe with your Zico and your tangent theta. No problem when it comes to the glass. There you, you go. You just have to deal with the turret then. <laughs> and, Always and a compromise. Speaking, yeah. And speaking of that turret, they have the, the same turrets with a slightly different feel <laughs> for variety in the LR version of that five to 25, which is, it looks physically the same, but it is a different optical design. It's actually based on, um, I don't remember their other their other line of scopes, but it, it the eyepiece design and whatnot is actually based on the eyepiece from the other scope. And so even though it is physically the same form factor, in terms of optical performance, it's clearly not a ZP5. However, it performs well optically in the $2,000 price range where it lands. So it's a, it's got a big field of view, good edge-to-edge -edge clarity, a good eye box, good resolution with good chromatic aberration. Um, the only thing that it had that was kind of its, its lower point in terms of its performance amongst other 2K optics is that its light, stray light handling is not as good as, well, Leopold's, for instance, is excellent. That's something Leopold always gets right, is stray light handling. And this one could have used a sunshade, doesn't actually come with a sunshade. Interestingly, it's threaded kind of odd, so it's hard to find a sunshade. But it needs one. <laughs> yeah, that's weird that they did an odd thread like that. Yeah. So you can't just buy the sunshade off of the um, other 56 millimeter Minox, <laughs> is my understanding. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. You can't go find the cheapest is. one and get it. You got to go find the specific yeah, one. Yeah, you got to go find the specific right one, which it doesn't come with. Even though it actually comes with both of the Minoxes came with nice Tenebrex flip caps. I was like, oh, I'd really like a set of Tenebrex flip caps for some other scopes, but I don't want to pay for them. So <laughs> they are nice, but they are not cheap. No, never. Yeah. 
and again, it had this exact same spline slop. And it had like, oh, the reticle was 1% small and 0.6 degrees canted. And just like, I mean, I guess in the 2K range, you expect to have things be, the QC be a little looser. So, I mean, that's not outside of what I've seen from other 2K. Still seems kind of odd for like, not just Minox, but like a German because they're pretty particular. (laughs) That's true. You know that like they're all doctors and they're all pretty particular and like you meet them and it's like, oh, Dr. So-and-so. And it's like, oh, hey, another doctor. And um, yeah, so it, for a group, stereotypically tend to be very precision driven. That seems odd that this particular scope with all the positives would have these sort of like overlooked negatives that could be fixed in QC. Well, and I also feel like, come on, it's not that hard to just tighten up the specs on the splines that you're manufacturing. Like, you can just you can just change the specs on that, right? Just right. just change them, have it right, because especially with the ZP5, it is so much cheaper than other alpha scopes. Like, it is so much cheaper than some scopes that aren't near. Right. So if you, if they added 300 bucks to it, you wouldn't see that. And then they'd hopefully be able to straighten out these little minor inconveniences. Yeah. It's probably three bucks. Good grief. (laughs) You're not changing much in the spec for heaven's sake. I have encountered thousand dollar scopes that the spline didn't have any measurable slop in it. Like, it's just the spec is just incorrect. There's just too much. It's not that they're manufacturing it to too low of a tolerance. It's just that they made it too big to start with. Just yeah. change the number. And at that point, especially with the ZP5, change that and put in like, say, $25 more worth of assembly time to make sure that you get. Because really, when it comes down to like adjustment magnitude and whatnot, what you're just talking about is it's going to take slightly longer on average to assemble the scope because you're going to go back and redo more things when it comes to like lens positioning and whatnot in order to make sure you meet a little tighter spec. So it's going to be a little more expensive on average to assemble them, right? It's a $3,000 scope. You're paying for like really good glass. Just make it a $3,100 scope. There you right? go. Yeah, 3200 $3, bucks solves it, right? <laughs> right. Solves it. And at that point, you're you're competing head-to-head with a tangent theta that's at like five grand. You know, there's a lot of people who are going to pick up that scope then. There you that go. Right well, now, you know, like, it, it, they, they don't realize they almost need that liaison with the community because if you look at, like you just said, every company that has that boot on the ground, that has that connection to, for lack of a better word, the influencer or that sort of touch point the optics tend to be better. Yeah. And the choices specifically are better. Yeah. I mean, even, even if the optical design isn't better, the choices and what reticle and in what features are better. I mean, you look at the Bushnell and in, in Gardner's participation with that and where it came from and where it, where it is today. You know, the Zico yeah. stood out as that. Even Vortex, like you said, Scotty Parks and all those guys mm-hmm. always were out at the matches. They always have somebody, Nick Loffenberg, he's there with his finger on the pulse, and they're always 
talking to people. What do you want? How do you want it? Why do you want it? You know, but yeah. then when you get the company that doesn't have that interaction, it's like the, there's these bursts of excellent and then sort of a failed UI. And it's like, man, yeah. if you just talk to somebody and we just fix these two things, it would be like you're saying, you know, equivalent to a, a $5,000 tangent in mm-hmm. a $3,000 package. But you have these two things that make it where it now becomes a bigger compromise than you should be willing to make in that price point. Yeah, it's hard. It's then sort of hard to use. You have to train yourself in the case of that turret slot. You have to train yourself to always, when you're going one direction, to go past and then back in order that you're always on the same side of the slot. You know, if you're in a competition setting or something, you screw it up, you're going to be a tenth off, and the targets aren't that big. Right. You know, a tenth is not great. It's enough with some people that, you know. I know the targets that I shoot at, at the long-range place that I do, not PRS-style competition, but long-range-style competition. Like, if I start adding a tenth... I'm going to miss stuff. Yeah, well, he's got the headhunter there, right? So they're all head-sized targets, and they go out, I don't know how far, but I know he has that thing. So what, six by nine targets? Yeah. It's easy to... I don't need to add any more to my air budget. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. It's, I miss enough it's, on my own. It's not... It's, and that's a thing he does, so it would absolutely show up if you went to attempt that uh, cause I don't know if he still gives you a shirt or whatever for doing it, but I mean, there used to be uh, something attached to engaging in that uh, thing, you know, at his range. So now we have, we'll go to the Zico. We'll do that one last here. Um, I looked at the ZC420. I know you got a couple of ZCOs as mm-hmm. well. This is Jeff Huber's latest um, endeavor. Most people know that he, he sort of built Night Force, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, then the him and the dude that owned Night Force had a falling out. And then he went to Callus, where he sort of introduced them to the U.S. market when Swarovski was deciding to do the whole Callus thing to start making tactical scopes and to pretend that it wasn't them that was doing it. Right. <laughs> that they're not owned by Shirovsky. <laughs> yep. They're gonna, we're going to pretend it's a different thing. And I, I actually went over, over there with Robert, who's Zico. I went to Shirovsky when they were all there, and I went to Austria. I went stayed in Vienna in the circle. If you watch any Tom Cruise movie where he's at the Vienna Opera Houses, which he mm-hmm. tends to go there a lot, um, if you look when they go from the opera house across the street, there's a hotel right there. I stayed at that hotel, which was directly across the street from the opera house. But I've been to Collis's factory. I've been to the Jaeger ball with Shirovsky and met the whole Royal family. Um, oh yeah. Those are some great pictures that you posted. on. Yeah. Arc, yeah. So. I mean, it was a pretty, you know, baller, uh, uh trip, but, um, is that, is that up on the new site? Mm, probably not. I don't think I have that stuff. Uh, uh, it's on my phone, but I don't think I have a, a kind of a, a a post on it anymore. Um, you should put that back up. I that should. was a great post. I should, I should put it back up. And, that and, was so and, cool. And the Zico guys, man, they just, there's so much going on with them. Like we're talking about, they're so nimble. 
they're, they're, they, they know where they're going. You know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. it was, it was like you had the five to 27, you had the four to 20. I'm mm-hmm. at shot show in sitting down with them years ago in, and my, in fact, I think it was their first shot show. So they had the two scopes. So I have, yeah. I'm having dinner with them. In and a it, tiny little booth. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm having dinner with them. And it's like, hey, where are we going to go next? I said, well, you're going to do an eight to something. And he goes, well, why do you say that? I said, because nobody needs to be below eight. And then you look up at here and everybody's going higher mag. And what comes out to eight to 40? So uh-huh. you, it was so predictable, wasn't it? Right. So you know the directions they're going if you pay attention to because Zico are Zico is like a Steven Spielberg in the scope company. If you watch a Steven Spielberg movie, the framing and the lighting is textbook perfect. Like he's doing yeah. something to teach you about the art of making a movie. It's going to be, you know, wide, medium, close. It's going to be a Rembrandt light on that guy's face. Every scene, it's going to be this, that, the other thing. Zico follows those traditional, well-received optical models. Yes. Yeah. And and I think this year they put out a low-power one as well, right? It's coming, but yeah, they. I'm not going to say too much because it was under the counter, but they posted a picture. Everybody could see what it looks like. And you I was going to say, somebody posted That it was Nick, I yeah. It. I was there when they were kind of filming <laughs> it, and they, were, they actually were trying to decide what to show because they, did, they knew enough people had heard about what was under the counter, but they didn't want to show it. And, and like I said, I won't tell you what it says, but it was like – there was like a swipe by and he went fast enough that hopefully even if you freeze framed it, it blurred it. But once you see the look, you kind of can tell, you know, the, the question just becomes where's the, where's that mag range technically falling because it does look like any other. Well, it's funny that they do that because they have too many boots on the ground for it not to get out. Yes. Like there's <laughs> their sponsored people are very good shooters. They're very good promoters. So of course all their sponsored people are going to be like, yeah, I saw it, you know, and tell their friend and then their friend's going to tell their friend and, you know, and, but everybody calls and texts and they're like, Hey, what was behind under the counter? And it's like, you know what yeah. it is. <laughs> like it, it gets, and then it gets somebody, po- somebody that isn't on the NDA that hears about it is like, Hey, posts it you know right right. even when their scope company was coming out it was like the most well-known optical secret in the entire industry that huber was starting a scope company and they were coming out with a new scope yeah yeah so yeah oh and other things on the zco um they take very seriously the qc standards that i think we all think that scopes in that price range should have um so they're their reticle sizing and that kind of thing is absurdly correct. Correct to a degree that, you know, a lot of times when I do reviews, um, if the reticle is within 1% of correct, it's correct in the review, right? But I can tell if it's better than that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I the measuring equipment such that I'm using is better than 1%, most of the time anyhow. Nice. And this one, this one is just was on to an absurd degree that even the numbers on the parallax were on numbers on the parallax are never on 
you know. Yeah. And, and just for like some people to know, because I have all like not all now, but I have Gen 1 first day sort of Zico scopes. And like you said, I have mm-hmm. a couple of different ones. And since that time, like if you go back in time with Schmidt and Bender and I was a huge Schmidt and Bender fan and then the reticles with Schmidt and Bender and they did the special build Klein for us and some of these other ones and what you had with Schmidt and Bender was you had Jerry over there, right? So on Sniper's High, Jerry was there. And then yes. if you sent something in, it was going to go to Jerry. And Jerry was mm-hmm. the guy who was going to put your, his hands on your scope in the U.S. So you had this comfortability because you got to talk to him. You got to, right? I've sent yes. every one of my Zico scopes back to Jeff at his request. Not that they needed it, but he's like, hey, I got a new reticle. I want to put this reticle in for you. What of our reticles do you like better now that I have this many reticles? Try that one. Every one of my scopes has had some kind of change or cleanup. You can't tell they've had a change or cleanup and they come back every bit as good, if not better than when they went out because they go out with me using the snot out of them. Jeff cleans Mm. them all up, takes care of them. And so... Now, I know there'd be fees involved in anything if you were going to do that. It's I'm a different case. But I will tell you, Zico has that same level of comfort now with me sending. Because it's like, with me, I'm a guy where it's like everything works. My my setup works. I don't want to touch it. Like, even my, um, my Val, uh, not my Valkyrie, my Gladius. The Gladius, the original Gladius rifle, the Chris Kyle rifle, my first only Gladius has a bad surefire break on it. They have offered me a dozen times to replace that break. I have to zero with it. It doesn't do the no zero thing it's supposed to do and all that. There's a, there's a widget on it that doesn't belong there. I don't ever, I never wanted them to change it because that rifle shot perfect. It was like in the best space. It was like, this rifle's great. Leave it alone. I will re-zero the suppressor. You know, if I'm moving something around or changing ammo, I don't need it to be exactly like Surefire advertised it because I like everything else about it. So I'm not a guy that just arbitrarily changes things, even though these companies will offer it. I did it Mm -hmm. with Jeff because he bugged me a lot. He's like, hey, give me your scopes. Give me your scopes. Give me your scopes. Finally, off season, I mailed him all my scopes. Didn't take him but two weeks. And he switched out every reticle to like his latest things. And I think they, like I said, you can't tell. So it's that same level of Schmidt comfort with Jerry. I now have with Jeff putting his hands on everything. And Jeff is the guy who is going to put his hands on any customer service thing that he he's going to touch. He probably wants to see what the wear looks like. Too. Yeah, exactly. It, there's a lot more to it than going on. But I'm just you, you probably put more wear on it than anybody, but maybe a few competition shooters. And, and, and yeah, the big thing is the travel because I'm always in the car or always in an airplane traveling. Um, hang on. Um, I'm always in the car traveling. Um, and so they're in and out, in and out, in and out. Here I'm shooting it. Here I'm shooting it. You know, so I always have those scopes on something. Yeah. They have a sort of unique thing in their in their elevation turrets too. Instead of using a ball and spring detent system for the clicks, they use a pin and spring detent system. So oh my! That, God. I just 
<laughs> so that the wear is equalized over the length of a pin instead of being at a single point. And it's a dual detent, so they're two opposing each other so that the detent isn't pushing the turret one direction and wearing against the bushing that the turret runs in, but rather it's pushing both directions so that it's centered, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he does, he, Jeff is, like you were saying, he was the guy that did all the night forces. Any night force you probably loved, he he had a hand in it. And so when yeah. you look at the bulletproof nature of night force, you look at how, how, I mean, that's the thing, like sitting down and talking to night force, it's like, man, you guys are so hard to promote in a way because there's nothing flashy about it, but everything just works. You're like the bulletproof. I mean, it, they literally are the scope with a bullet through it and it still works. And that's how you find night forces. You almost can't kill them. And so it's really boring to be like, you know, it's just a solid, great scope. And that's sort of the, the where Jeff comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like, I feel like optically, Zico, Tangentha, and Minox, as well as some, but not all of the Schmidt and Bender optical designs, because I feel like they're a mixed bag. Those are optically the best scopes that anybody makes. Yeah, yeah. And then I like the Zeiss. The S5 is up there. And even the threes are great to look at. I think optically the Zeiss is our, our money. Um, I haven't seen the S5s yet. Yeah, they're, they're... I mean, I've seen them, but I haven't... I have not... Yeah, they're really nice. them in a, in a setting where I really can can put them to the paces. Every, everybody who, who gets behind Mars loves them. They're like, oh, man, this is really nice. And the reticles are not over the top. They do everything they're supposed to. They have a floating dot. They're not too thick. They're point twos. They got a little bit of Christmas tree that starts at the two mil mark. And, and, and so the reticles straightforward and, and works really well. You just don't get the choices in them. But even, like I said, I run the S3s a ton because the S3 at 2200, the, the, they, one, they're great because they focus super close. I mean, you can just walk 10 paces, drop a dollar bill on the ground, and on full power, you're going to read every line of that dollar bill 10 yards in front of you. On top of that, when you look far with the Mirage, you're going to have a crisper edge of that target and it's not going to be fuzzy with the mirage and the sun and all that. And then the four to 25 has 49 mils of elevation. The, the six to 36 has like 32. So they have huge adjustments. So for the air rifles, the 22s, that four to 24 is a money scope because it's going to get you everything with the small guns. And then ELR, I'm actually going to replace my night force beast with a four to 24 because I want the 49 mils on my 300 Norma and my night mm. force tops out at 24 mils. Uh, okay. You know, so it, I can go yeah. to the 40, I can get 44, 45 out of it with 49 by the time I zero it and all that, but I'm going to get 44, 45 and I don't even have to do a crazy base. I can do it from a 20 MOA base and I'm going to be in the 40s with my elevation. So yeah. it, it makes no brainer for an ELR type gun for a 22 or air rifle. Um, I think the Zeiss, the S3s are, are a great option at sub 2,500 bucks. That can be so important. You know, so many of the scopes 
don't have either the close focus or a tremendous amount of range in terms of the elevation. And that's fine almost all the time. But when you get to shooting a rimfire or an ELR, when it comes to the rimfire, you need both those things. When right. it comes to the ELR, you need a, a lot of elevation, like a lot more than you need for anything else. You know? Yeah, no, because for most sure. scopes are so much more elevation than I need for the rifle I'm putting them on. But then you you go over to rimfire and it's like, uh, well, yeah, I probably can use 40 mils. Yeah, know? I mean, like a 6.5 Creedmoor, we end up having so much, like, yeah, if somebody comes out here and they want to shoot the mile, in Colorado, your 6.5 Creed will hit the mile. And you can, and if your rifle's good and it's got a decent barrel, you know, you can do four out of five shots at a mile in, in a string, you know, once you get the wind or something like that. And that's mm. going to push your elevation right to the edge to that 18 to 20 mil mark, you know. Mm. But generally, we tend to shoot like, you know, 1,200 and in with them. And you're yeah. barely going to 10 mils. And 10 mils in a 308 is 1,000 yards. But 10 mils with a 6.5 is like 1,200. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're barely ever going a rev with a 6.5 Creedmoor to a thousand yeah. yards. And so it's a weird kind of thing that your sevens and eights in the mills to that. And, and so it's, it's, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a strange kind of weirdness with those middle cartridges. We have more range than we need. And then on yes. the outside, 10 people tend to run short but then there's a there's scopes that you won't run short but we don't run as much it's and i feel like there's not a ton of need in between like you either need pretty much 12 mils or you need more than 30 right right no totally (laughs) totally it's it's like 12 max and that used to be the old uh schmidt and bender the 4 to 16 only went to like 14 because that was really all you needed. It was like you got a single turn, 14, you're done. And, and um, you know, then it was like everybody wanted the 26, 26, 26. Then it jumped to 32, 32, 32. And now we're starting to creep into the 40s as they learn to get the elevation out of these higher magnifications, you know? Yeah, and it's definitely when it comes to choosing your scope, it helps to know what you want to do with it because you do have to sacrifice some things to get those super high mills of elevation. In general, you sacrifice some optical performance for it. Well, we talked about Uh, like the vortex, the gen two, when you used to be able to watch it dim, you were, if you cranked mm -hmm, up the, and they had a 32, they were one of the first ones with a 32 in there. And as you cranked it, cranked it, cranked it, the picture would get dim, you know, granted you're over the you know, 18s and 20s, but you could see it. Yeah. And, and now they try to fix that. You know, now they want to get more and not have the picture dim and not compromise that field of view and not angle the erector in such a way. Mm-hmm. So. And, and of course, you'll, you'll significantly usually have to change your parallax as you get way to the edge of those fields. Yeah, yeah, you're always, right and, and even maybe too. even like, though. It's a big change. Right, right. And then that's where you got to make sure you got your ocular set for you better too. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a huge one for us that when we put the scope on our test tool in class, ocular focus is giant. Like we had mentioned, a, 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 you know, a large number don't have their ocular set correctly. And especially older. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they, the bo- they ship them in the box with it buried because it makes for a smaller box. 
But really, you need like a turn and a half to come out before you start even adjusting it. And we'll get old guys who bought a scope who never touch it. And so (laughs) adjusting that ocular, and Mark will even say, hey, man, you're my age. This isn't right for you because the ocular is buried and we know it needs to come out for old guys. And it's like, "Eh, that's not right, dude. That's not how can you. How about this? And he'll set it for him or he'll set it out a little bit where he thinks, oh, I could see the reticle so much better now. And that's a huge component. At least a good third of the class does not know how to set the ocular adjustment. Yeah. Getting people to set their ocular and parallax, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely seems to be something I've seen a lot. And that's why it's part of our class. You know, (laughs) scope companies would probably do a lot better if they shipped all those scopes with the ocular zeroed at no correction because (laughs) then they would be closer on average to their customers. Yes. Yeah. You know, well, and probably think the scope was better. They used to have your prescription on it. So if you had glasses, you could say, okay, my glasses are plus two here and plus. All right. Mm. So through turn it. They you can find pictures of scopes that the ocular adjustment had the prescription on it for plus plus one, plus two, plus three, and it matched your prescription so you can match your glasses. Now, I just turn it to what my glasses prescription was because it's really just a plus one, two, three, four kind of thing. Yeah. And and that used to be a thing. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, you can. It's hard to find them, but you can find pictures on Google of um of prescriptions. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can text this without him. Uh, That's funny. Is he gonna? Uh, hold on. I got some, Jim's bugging me, and he's that's the one who's calling. Me. I was trying, to, but we're hitting our hour. I just didn't want to mess with the phone call and tell him to stop. All right, oh, I'm done. I I, sorry about that, Codet Silence, for a minute. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's trying to blow me up. He's like, he keeps calling back, and now he's texting. He's like, I don't want to keep calling. You're sending me to voicemail. I'm like, no shit. It's like <laughs> you're he, supposed to notice that. Right, right. He's calling like, you know, you guys can kind of hear it come in. And it's like, stop calling me, dude. I'm, I, I'm sending you to voicemail for a reason. But anyway, yeah, so what do you have anybody else, Jim? Because we hit down to the Zico's, and I don't know if that was the end, and we hit your hour, like an hour minute there. We are done. Oh, yep, cool. That's all, that's all the scope stuff. Uh, I guess I should mention this year what we're doing in terms of uh, reviews, because we can probably do that pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wrap, so, up, wrap up your schedule. Yeah, so reviews this year are going to center around a straight-walled cartridge rifle. Midwesterners know why you do those because that's there's a lot of deer hunting regulations that require a straight wall cartridge. So I'm going to build a 350 Legend. I'm going to see how accurate I can get it at how far a range. Nice. We're going to talk about that whole concept that I think it's probably at some point going to continue to spread from the Midwest because it has spread here very quickly. It's become very popular. And so areas that used to be shotgun hunting only have added the straight wall cartridge because as I've discovered while I'm doing my research here, it's essentially about the same amount of danger range, but a lot more of that danger range is useful. Mm -hmm. 
So the projectile will fly about as far as a sabotage slug, but you get a lot more accuracy out of that, out of a projectile and system that's less expensive. There you go. So we're going to, we're going to do uh, the, the rifle build. The pure precision guys are doing an action. We're going to talk about the action in stock that they're doing. Um, Hornaday is helping with the cartridges, uh, which is great. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Proof did the barrel. I'm going to add that to the, my data on proof carbon wrapped barrels mm-hmm. and the harmonics of it because I'm really curious. The 6.5 Creedmoor was essentially harmonically dead. It doesn't matter what I feed it, it shoots lights out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the 22 doesn't behave any differently than other 22 barrels I've had. And I wonder if the larger amount of power from an actual centerfire cartridge sh- shows harmonic differences in the carbon fiber and makes them better in terms of ammunition tolerance okay so we're gonna gonna run that through again if it comes out like the six five then we'll have i think a a fairly clear advantage harmonically for um carbon fiber barrels in a not 22 long rifle setting otherwise well i guess they're more or less like lightweight steel barrel which is what we kind of thought to start with but uh i think there might be something to the the greater ammunition tolerance um then I've got an article on precision rifle levels. I'm going to send that to you to take a look at when I finish writing it. And then we got a special project too. We got to do next week. Cause there's something coming out that they're going to include you in on that. So they'll yeah, be, we're not supposed to talk about no, that. No, we're though, not, Frank. but we could still say there's a special project coming, but we can't say who, what, where, or anything, what it is, but it's definitely going to be cool. Uh, to me, it was the best thing at shot show that no one ever saw. <laughs> You always love your your super secret squirrel stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, but that's how you get it. You, you build the hype, you know? It's like, oh, come that's check right. it out. Because at some point, a super secret thing that everybody's going to want. And it's it's ex- it's expensive in context, but it's actually cheaper than the competition. And it does 10 times more things. Yep. There you go. So that's and then the we tease. Got, uh... <laughs> Some written scopes, a high look scope. I'm hoping to add the Leopold Mark IV, and uh, I think I'm. I may also do one on the Garmin um, radar chrono that I just ordered. I mm-hmm. think They're you have really, one yeah, well. we have one. They're really good. I'm in, and I honestly, you could do a full blown review because we haven't done a full blown other than the forum talk. But I mean, the Garmin just changes the game. I mean, even to the point where Lab Radar came out with their little unit, and and it's fine. They're, I looked at it; it's solid. It's a little bigger, but what's the point now with the Garmin? And I think the Garmin was a buck or so cheaper, or I don't know. But um, I don't know retail that much. Um, but anyway, I I'm I'm such a huge Garmin fan. I run the watches, and the uh, C1 there is freaking amazing. You know, the Zero is is just great. So it's like I'm a Garmin fan. Sounds good. Oh, I'm going to talk about reloading the the 350 Legend too, which should be interesting because it's not a bottleneck cartridge, so it indexes off the the case mouth and d- different powders. And there's a lot of considerations, and hopefully, I can get it all to shoot real well. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, and and yeah, we're going to be adding a reloading. I just actually moved the benches to the uh, Chris place that we're doing work with. So we're going to incorporate with the lives and different things we're doing some reloading, like some comp reloading that Chris does and some stuff um, because they are playing games out west here, like 6.5 Creedmoor. They're running at, you know, 25.75. 
Um, they're, they're slowing them down and doing the heavy bullets really slow because they're not losing points on the BC and the accuracy's there. And slow nodes easier to load in, so they're yada, yada, yada. We're going to be talking it is, about it. That's a, why Lapua loads its factor ammo there. Yeah, so, I mean, normal, everybody's slow node um, today, so and that's what it is. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's what we're going to be looking at, too. All right. Sounds good. Cool, Jim. Thank you for everything, uh, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper podcast. Uh, we are going to be moving forward with that. I'm heading to Rifles Only next week. So probably do a podcast from down there and talk to everybody. But definitely we'll be talking to you soon. Cheers, everyone. All right.